This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. Firefighter suicides are surpassing the number of firefighters who are killed on duty. And if that sounds new to you, unfortunately, it's not. It's actually a trend that dates back now nearly a decade. But a Kern County firefighter is helping slow the trend, and this podcast helps tell his story. The Firefighter Behavioral Health Alliance says 119 firefighters and 20 EMTs and paramedics died by suicide in 2019, the latest year for which data are available. That compares to 63 firefighters who died on duty the same year, according to data from the U.S. Fire Administration. But there is a shift in how the problem is being addressed, led in part by Derek Robinson, who joins us for this Biz News podcast. Okay, well, my name is Derek Robinson. I grew up in Southern California. I uh, moved up here to uh, swim at Cal State University, Bakersfield. Uh, that led into my career in public service when I was uh, lifeguarding in my summers off from uh, college. That translated into a job with the Kern County Fire Department, and I've been a fire captain and working with the fire department for uh, just over 20 years now. It sounds like you evolved into that. Did you ever plan as a youngster that you would be a firefighter? No, I never. Uh, I'm an abnormal kid in that uh, when I was a youth, I, there was no uh, dreaming of becoming a firefighter. It's just something I uh, fell into uh, when I was lifeguarding. A lot of the guys that I worked alongside would uh, work for the fire department locally and then pick up shifts on the beach on their days off. And, uh, and they always seemed happy. And so I thought, that, that looks like the right fit for me. Now, you were a member of the uh, Roadrunners uh, uh, men's swim team back in the days when it was a national powerhouse, right? Yes, sir. I was on the uh, teams from 88 to 91 and part of uh, winning six straight national championships. And what, what was your favorite stroke? Oh, I was a backstroker and uh, so I'm a little bit of butterfly and uh much to my chagrin, my senior year, I got uh, uh, put into the 400 IM, which I will still to this day contend is the most painful event in swimming. And do you still swim as a, for pleasure? Oh, yes, sir. I'm uh, actually heading to the pool right after this interview. It's my, uh, it's my quiet time. You know, I can break free from all the electronics, the phone calls, the everyday life stuff, and I can just stare at the bottom of the pool and clear my head, and it's a, it's, it's a place of solace for me. Now, getting to this place of solace has been decades of some painful work. Uh, most of our listeners and viewers, like every everyone, you know, we see firefighters, sometimes just only on when they're in their trucks going to or from, and occasionally we'll see them down the street at a fire, but it's not something any of us would probably aspire to because it is not exactly a very safe job. Uh, no, it's uh, definitely a high-risk job, and uh, both on the physical and mental side of things, it takes a toll uh, over a career. Now, you have uh, been very open about your life in a new book. Tell our listeners and viewers about the book. Yeah, so um, I, uh, as union president, 
had uh, really taken into this uh, new uh, campaign that our International Association of Firefighters had started and where they were trying to stamp out the stigma because for as long as anyone remembers, the old age old adage uh, amongst the fire service was suck it up, buttercup. You know, don't let, don't let your feelings out. Don't acknowledge that a call bothered you or anything like that. And my, in my mentality in doing that was, <clears throat> I didn't want to be the union president that had one of my members call or someone call and say that one of my members uh, chose suicide as their best option, right? That just should never be the case. And so I really advocated for it early on because I wanted our members to uh, be open to the idea that, you know, we can help in these instances and you shouldn't shy away from it. And uh, it takes probably more courage to step out and admit that you need help than to kind of close it all off. And we're really good at closing it all off and shutting it down. And when you shut down those emotions, they build and build and build to a boiling point. And then that's what's leading to a high number of suicides within the fire service and law enforcement to the point that more firefighters are dying today uh, by their own hand than on the job uh, line of duty deaths. That's stunning. Uh, how how, how, what are we talking about in terms of, of, of just numbers? Well, uh, I think in the book, it's, uh, I think the, it was 2017 and it was over a hundred, uh, firefighters had chosen suicide and over a hundred, uh, police officers had also chosen suicide. And it's just so sad because it is so avoidable and it's, it's treatable. And that's why I've been advocating for this is it's, people I think get hung up on calling it uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And that word disorder uh, keeps people away or shies them away because then they think they're going to be sentenced to something for the rest of their life. When that's not in fact the case, it's a, it, in very real way, a treatable injury that can be recovered from and you can get back to a normal, healthy, happy life. Now, now, firefighters are given all sorts of protective clothing. Uh, if you're doing wildfires, you, you even pack a, a tent that will keep the flames off of you if you are suddenly engulfed by the wildfire. Uh, what protective clothing, quote unquote, is provided to firefighters for mental health? You know, we do a very poor job of uh, <clears throat> educating our uh firefighters and law enforcement officers on behavioral health and what it looks like and how it can affect your daily life or affect your daily life. And so uh, really the only outlet that on our side, on the firefighter side, and probably across the nation is the EAP or um, um, employee assistance program. And I went through that program and found it to be uh, at least here in Kern County, very deplorable. It was of no help whatsoever. And um, it left me an even a, kind of a darker place after I reached out for help and couldn't get any help. And I thought, what the heck is going on here? You know, why does no one want to help me? I'm broken and I need help. Now, I, I, I suspect that if one is contemplating suicide, there are any number of problems that have uh, paved that path, many of which would be unique to that person. But is there an overriding uh, thread of problems in the firefighting uh, profession that leads to this problem? 
Uh, I would say just the kind of the old school mentality of uh, suck it up buttercup and suppressing anything um, that strikes you emotionally inside and not talking about it, not sharing it with your crew or letting it out or, or having that um, outlet say within a, a home environment or um, a friend environment. Uh, most of, most of the uh, coping mechanisms within first responders is usually to turn to alcohol. What is a solution that you see? Is it national or is it a state uh, government function or something you would take to the um, county commission? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we have passed a bill here in California that allows for PTSI to be covered under workers' comp laws, which is a huge step forward. But we need to start changing the dynamic, and maybe it's a little idealistic, but firefighters are generally inquisitive people. So if, a, if someone is off duty uh, because of an injury, whether it's a shoulder, elbow, knee, whatever it may be, when that person comes back to work, all the guys sit around the table, okay, what was the surgery like? Who did you go? What was wrong? How was the, how was the physical therapy? How, did, how long did it take and all that? And I think we need to kind of break the stigma so we can start having those same candid conversations about behavioral health because it's not, like I said, it's not a sentence that you live with for the rest of your life. It is a very treatable injury that you can come back from and thrive and strive in, in life. What's been the reaction in Kern County specifically to this problem? Uh, we have, inside of our department, developed a critical incident stress management team led by one of our battalion chiefs, and uh, they, do a, they do a great job. They uh, do great work. They're all trained um, professionals in, in critical incident uh, stress management, and so they're out there helping, and they do a good job of reaching out. Like, if they hear that... that you know, there was a bad call that went down where maybe there were some fatalities or something. They'll reach out to those crews and say, hey, we'd like to come to a, a debriefing with you guys and give you an opportunity to um, talk about it and let it out. But it's still, it's still new. So the guys in the field are not necessarily buying into it. They're resistant. They're like, no, we're good. We don't want it. You know, so somehow we have to break this uh, barrier that's holding people back from saying, yeah, that, that call kind of mess with me a little bit. The calls never are good, I suspect, in the line of work that you have pursued. No, and, you know, each call affects someone differently. You know, so the book I wrote, uh, I put three calls in there. There was a fourth call that uh, impacted me as well, but I didn't remember the details as much as I did those other three, so I left it out. But then there's other calls that I remember that, I remember them vividly, but I would say they maybe didn't impact me or affect me the way those other three did. The three that are in the book are dealing with young children and, and the loss of, you know, the life and so much hope and so much potential uh, is what kind of really stuck with me. Whereas maybe some of the old, adult ones didn't really um, hit me as hard. And I do remember, you know, a lot about some of those calls too. And, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're just, no human being is designed to see, what we see over and over and over again. It, it is a tough profession that you're in, and this doesn't add to it a bit. Would you, would you tell our listeners the name of the book and where can they get it? Yes, it's uh, called Continue, Surviving the Darkness and Choosing to Live, and it's available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle versions. 
And if you have trouble finding it, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at continue by Derek Robinson. And I'll help get you a link that links you straight to the book. Um, I've had some friends who tried to search it out and couldn't find it. So uh, by all means, I will help you find it if you're interested. And, and uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, we have talked about some pretty grim subjects, but in your life as a firefighter, you, there must have been some some things you look back on and say that was great. Uh, what was were a couple of those? Yeah, sure. There, there's uh, when I first started out, I was uh, um, I don't know in the right place at the right time. Uh, quite a few times, I, I have probably delivered early in my career probably half a dozen babies. Uh, we have been able to save a few people through CPR and defibrillation and, and get them back and make them viable. So there, there's those successes, but you know, honestly, I couldn't tell you a single thing about any one of those calls, you know, cause that's just, Hey, we were just doing our job. We, we, we were successful. It's the ones where you're not successful and you feel like you failed in some way that really stick with you and, and haunt you. You've been on TV, uh, this not counting this uh, particular uh, interview what's been the reaction uh, to your story and your book uh you know a lot of people the reviews are positive uh, both on amazon and and through direct text messages that i'm getting from people the feedback is is all positive all good and and it's uh it's good i i mean when i posted the book for the uh about a week ago on um Amazon that finally went live. I posted it to my Facebook page and within an hour, a friend of mine that I've known for probably 30 years, uh, reached out, said he bought the book and that, uh, he can't wait to read it and that he needs help. And I was like, call me right now. Here's my number. And we chatted and kind of getting him on a path to, uh, um, back to a healthy life. And, and so in that moment, within an hour of publishing the book, the the mission was already accomplished. The mission of the goal was, to, or the mission of the book was to help one person. And then once we help that one person, let's help the next one, and then the next one and the next one. And I'd say within 24 hours, I'd already had two people reach out that needed help. And, and it was just, it was very validating in the whole process and, and basically why I did what I did. You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.